What's up, everybody? Let me give a shout out to those of you who are watching from my San Jose campus. Make some noise in San Jose. And a huge shout out to all of you who are watching by way of our various online platforms across the country and across the world. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the third week of our series called Have You Heard? Each week we're looking at different dimensions of, the, of, the, of what flows from Christmas, the original Christmas, the real Christmas, the good news that flows from Christmas, the hope that comes from Christmas, the help that comes from Christmas, the help that enables us to navigate through the challenges of everyday life. Have you heard? So, if you've missed the first couple of messages, I want to encourage you to go to our website. I promise you it'll be worth your while. All right, let's get busy. Uh, I'm returning to the passage that we looked at last week. If you were watching uh, last week or with us last week, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, we'll look at two verses, verse 30 and verse 38. Let's listen. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. And then verse 38, after she hears that she's going to conceive and bring forth a child and his name will be Jesus, she says this. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Then the angel left her. Have you heard? Can someone say, have you heard? <laughs> have you heard another of the great and grand announcements of Christmas? Don't be afraid. Yes, this is a phrase that God says throughout Scripture 365 times, uh, one time for each single day of the year. It is as though God knows that each day that we wake up, we're facing challenges that would generate anxiety and worry and fear. And so he whispers to us, if you will, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And the message of Christmas is don't be afraid because, as I said last week, he's with us. As it relates to Christmas itself, Matthew and Luke gives us the narrative of the, the details of the narrative of Christmas. And there we find this phrase, don't be afraid, four times. Matter of fact, beginning with Luke, Zechariah, the priest, goes into the temple. And the text tells us that he's startled by the sight of Gabriel, the angel. And, and the first words that comes forth is, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. And then in verse 30, as we just read, that same angel shows up in Nazareth, and there in front of Mary, he says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then, again, uh, we hear chapter 2, verse 10. The shepherds are keeping watch over their sheep by night. Suddenly, a light shines around them, and an angel shows up, and, and he says, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. Can you say all the people? Yes. And then Matthew 1, he captures the, the narrative from Joseph's perspective. And uh, Joseph is brokenhearted. He's shattered. He's convinced that Mary has betrayed him. He's, he has decided not to move forward with the marriage. And then comes to him this same angel. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
Each time a manger, um, an angel shows up, it's Gabriel who stands in the very presence of God. He's a messenger straight from God. And I want somebody listening to me today that's dealing with anxiety and fear and worry. All of these are different words for fear, right? An uneasement about life. I want you to hear the God of the universe declare to you today that, that one of the messages of Christmas is don't be afraid. But what about the wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and various places across the earth you declare? I want you to hear God says, yes, but don't be afraid. But what about what seems to be the increasing, growing instability of the U.S. government and perhaps even the world? And God says, yes, but don't you be afraid. But what about the extreme weather conditions just this past week? 50 tornadoes swept across the southern states as simply one example of a horrendous uh, array of, of extreme weather conditions. Yes, that is true. God declares to you, but don't you be afraid. Well, what about last week? Steph Curry uh, was playing and his shoulder got dislocated. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that example actually fit here. I think that came from another note. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Steph Curry plays for the Warriors, y'all. You know I'm a big Warrior fan, and he got his shoulder dislocated. Listen, but my wife told me, "Come on now, it's a long season, baby. Don't be afraid." <laughs> All right, but back on a serious note, you know. What about that person who says, what if I can't find the resources that I need to pay for college or to take care of my aging relative? What if the chemo treatments, the next round of chemo treatment does not go well? The word of the Lord to you today, if you will believe it, the word of God to you today is, listen, don't be afraid. It is the message of Christmas. It is the God of the universe. And if you are a Marvel fan, it is the God of the multiverse. <laughs> it is the God of creation, guys, who says, listen, I'm not just standing by you on the dimness of eternity. Come on, barking out orders. Come on, here's how you know I love you. Christmas is about God showing up, Emmanuel, God with us, determined to help us to navigate the challenges of life. You are not alone. Don't be afraid. As I was preparing this message, I thought about my dear friend, the late Reverend Alan Belton. A few months ago, he was in hospice care, and a group of us pastors went to see him. And when we walked into his room, he was in high spirits. He says, come over in here, guys. And he started quoting scripture. He said, hey, guys, there's this passage that I just can't get out of my mind. Listen, 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 listen closer to, listen for the phrase, don't be afraid. Listen, listen. He says, here's the passage. He's in hospice care. He says, here's the passage. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. And then he, then he kind of stood himself up in bed and he, and, he, and, he, and he said to us, why, 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 why don't I fear? And he said, because the next verse, for thou, God, are with me. 
<laughs> That's the gift of Christmas, guys. That's the miracle of Christmas. Come on now, because he had surrendered his life to this one who was born a baby, who grew up, come on now, uh, uh, and who, 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 who empty cross is a reminder that he's with us in our suffering, uh, who that same cross is a reminder that he's paid for our sins. We don't have to worry about our imperfections undercutting eternal hope and life for us. The empty grave reminds us that he has the last word even over death itself. My dear friend says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of hospice care. My dear friend, Pastor Alan Belton says, I will fear no evil, for, 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 for I have the assurance that he is with me. Do you have the assurance? That's why he came into the world. He's with you. Will you choose to be with him? And so the grand announcement, do not be afraid, actually is also a glorious invitation. Be courageous. What are we called to be courageous for as we look closely at the details of the Christmas story? Well, here it is. Don't be afraid to take up a God-sized purpose for your life. This is at the very heart of the Christmas story, that, that, that whatever station you hold in life, wherever, wherever you are in life, whether, whether you're in a homeless shelter, you're living in a mansion, whoever you are, whether you are a religious person or a non-religious person, you need to know that if you're on the planet, God has a purpose for your life. And the, 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 the decree, the declaration of Christmas is don't be afraid to grab hold to that purpose. Many of us are afraid to grab hold to the purpose because we are afraid that it will cost us our personal happiness. And sometimes it actually does. Isn't this the heart of the story about Mary and Joseph, right? Let's look at the text again. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. God has orchestrated a God-sized purpose, and he's calling you to say, yes, what is the purpose? That you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. The same thing comes to Joseph. The angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? Because God has orchestrated a God-sized purpose that he wants you to grab hold to along with Mary and say yes to. You see, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. The naming rights of the father meant that Joseph was to step in and adopt Jesus as his own child. Come on now. And, and here is the purpose. He, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. Joseph and Mary were regular, everyday people, and they found God's God-sized purpose for their lives in the regular, everyday details of their living. What about you? Don't be afraid, the text says. Now, before I explore this a little deeper, let me give you every message to try to give you some really practical uh, things that you can deploy. So when it comes to responding to fear, because we all deal with fear, right? Some of us may call it fear. I mentioned this earlier. We may call, others may call it anxiety or anxiousness. Others among us may call it uh, worry, right? Uh, uh, or dismayed or unease. But we all deal with it. Fear. Three things I want to, two things I want to suggest that you do. First is, 
Name it. Name the fear that's in your life. In three out of the four examples that I read as, as, as the phrase, don't be afraid, shows up in the Christmas story. Fear is named first. In the story of Zechariah, the text tells us that when Zechariah walks in, it says that he's literally overwhelmed by fear. And Mary, when the angel uh, shows up, the text says, they, it names it, it says that she is, she is confused and, and disturbed. The word disturbed means that her life, in a sense, just comes unglued by fear. The shepherds in the field, uh, when the angel shows up and the light shines around her, the text says they are terrified by fear. Here's the question that I want you to wrestle with after this message is over. What is the thing that is terrifying you? What is the thing that is keeping you up at night, that's driving your anxiety? Is it what, what, what is the single most, uh, 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 what is that one thing, if it will be, that's causing your life to be uneasy? I want you to be, just talk about it with a dear friend, someone that's safe, a spouse, a friend. Can you do that later today? Uh, uh, if you don't have anyone to talk about it, write it in your journal. But I want you to explore the question. I want you to name it. My dear friend, Pastor George Hinman, often says, name it to tame it. And the second thing I want to suggest, practical example, is examine it. Once you identify what is that, that fear that's eating at you, right? I want you then to examine it. Ask yourself two basic questions. The first question is, what kind of fear is it? Is it the kind of fear where I should feel and flee? Feel it and then exit or fight? Or is it the kind of fear that I should feel and face? face it? That's the first question. The second question, ah, gets to the heart of what the rest of this teaching is about today. The second question is a challenging question. It's, it, it, it challenges every single one of us, including myself, preaching. And, 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 and it's important that we hear the, Lord, the God of the universe say to us through Jesus before I announce this question, don't be afraid. Here's the question. Is this wrestling with fear in your life, is this an occasion where my pursuit of personal happiness is in conflict with the pursuit of God's purpose? Now, let me just hasten to say that there are many times and many occasions in life where, where our pursuit of God's purpose runs right alongside of happiness. You know, I'm a pastor of the, this wonderful church, NBCC, and I can tell you that most of the time this is really about I'm, I'm, in the, I'm pursuing God's purpose and I'm having a wonderful time at the same time. And, and, and oftentimes you can get both. But as you and I continue to live, I can guarantee you that we will wake up at some point in our lives and we will be in the place that Mary was in, in the place that Joseph was in, where we will find that we will be forced to choose every now and then, do I choose the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of God's purpose? Because every now and then, they come in conflict. That's what's happening in this text that we are Looking at here, at first glance, the question would be, who wouldn't want to be Mary, right? I mean, what, what, is, what, what, do, we, what do we know about it in the announcement of this news that you're going to conceive and bring forth the Savior of the world? Oh, my gosh, she's going to be called the Mother of God. 
right? The, 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 her child is going to change the course of history. Here's what Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 48. Her own words, for he took notice, God took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations, can you say all generations? All generations will call me blessed. Who doesn't want to be the individual that every generation calls you blessed? And yet, when we take a closer look, slip into Mary's shoes and stand in her unique context, we might reach a different conclusion because really, what sounds like joy and happiness is really Mary making a choice for the pursuit of God's purpose. And it will cost her, at least in the short term, personal happiness. Let's look at some of the ways in which her courageous yes cost her. And that's the challenge for many of us. God has a purpose right in front of us, but we're concerned about the, the cost. We, 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 we see Mary courage uh, in this way. Her saying yes to God's purpose meant that she would risk the love of her life. Joseph was a catch, y'all. He was, his ancestor was King David. He had royalty running in his blood. He was a hardworking carpenter. He was a catch. But can you imagine her having to sit Joseph down and say to him, oh, baby, I got something I need to tell you. The worry on her face, the tension in the room. What is it, he says. I'm pregnant, she says. He imagined the drama and the trauma and the horror and the shadow that, that Joseph must have immediately went through, knowing that he has not touched her. And she says, oh, but it's not what you think. What do you mean it's not what I think? She says, God did it. <laughs> you can see Joseph. You know, it, it sounds funny to us, but it was not a laughing matter. Forgive me. He says, my goodness, not only has she betrayed me, but she's insane. <laughs> so she risks losing the love of her life. Secondly, she actually risks losing her physical life because the, the Leviticus law and that day and time says that if, if, if someone breaks their engagement, which was a legal binding commitment that they could be stoned. He could, he could have exposed her publicly. That's what he was wrestling with in Matthew. Come on, she risked her own life by saying yes to God's purpose. She risked her financial security because he had decided to, to put her out of his household because, because marriage happened in two stages back then. The first stage was the engagement stage, and, and there had probably been some money that had exchanged hands, which was the custom. And she had moved into his house, which was the custom. They weren't sleeping together or anything like that, but she was a part of his financial responsibility, but he was about to put her out. And she risked her reputation. She would ultimately have to give birth to a child with no, no husband. And in a small town like Nazareth, everybody would have been talking. Wow. That's what Mary's yes to God's purpose meant. But she said, anyway, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be as you have said. 
aren't these the things that we pursue in our own life? Don't we think about our own personal happiness in these same terms? I mean, we want an amazing partner and the gateway to an amazing family with children and grandchildren. Don't we long for that in some way? Don't we desire our own physical safety to be secure, financial security for our present and our future? Don't we desire a reputation that others would die for? Isn't somewhere in there the happiness that we're working for? And let me just say to you, there's nothing wrong with working for that kind of happiness. No, we all want to be happy. The question is that I want you to wrestle with, however, is this question. How much value do you place on? personal happiness. What priority do you give personal happiness in your life? You see, if it's number two, if it's number three, that's one thing. If it's number one, that's something totally different. You know, happiness is built into the American dream. You know, even the Declaration of Independence says that we have a right to these unalienable rights, and among them a life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But even in that sequence, happiness is number three. It's not number one. What priority does it take in your life? All right, let me give you a caution. If the pursuit of happiness is the number one thing that you live for, you're in danger. We are in danger if that's the number one thing that we live for. Why? Two reasons, real quickly. Number one, the pursuit of happiness seduces us into idolatry. Happiness itself becomes the God in our lives. We're willing to sacrifice everything, pay any cost for personal happiness. There's a problem with that. And, and here's, here's one of the twists that happens in the text, that when Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, the person who pursues happiness above everything else, for, for that person, here's, here's what you say, the Lord is my servant. Not only is the Lord my servant, come on, my kids and my spouse and my girlfriend and my job and, and everything. I'm the center of the universe and everything that revolves around me. I understand it as an instrument, come on now, to contribute to my personal happiness. There's a problem there. And it is Christmas that challenges us. To ask the question, what value do I place on happiness? And is it possible that I put more value on my happiness than pursuing God's purpose? Which is always a hard thing to do. Wow. Hmm. Well, the second thing, that when happiness is the number one thing that I'm pursuing, it deceives me. Because happiness is fleeting it's a temporary experience in a permanently broken world on this side of glory, guys. But God's purpose is lasting and abiding and enduring. It is what gives us meaning and impact in and through our lives. It helps us to live a life that outlasts us on this planet. Notice we're still talking about regular, everyday, not wealthy, come on now, Mary and Joseph. Come on, not, not politically positioned, Mary and Joseph. 2,000 years later, because they plugged into God's purpose, they prioritized it above happiness. Not that they didn't have joy and happiness along the way. They did. But happiness came and went, came and went. But it was the purpose of God. It drove the legacy of their lives. What about your life? Let me tell you two stories. Here's how it looks 
when we prioritize happiness over pursuit of God's purpose. I had a friend many years ago who was a religious spiritual leader, lots of influence, lots of leadership responsibility. He was married to a wonderful woman who loved the ground that he walked on. She had her brokenness like he had his brokenness. As a matter of fact, if you're looking for somebody to marry that does not have brokenness, just give up the search. As a matter of fact, don't you look in the mirror. <laughs> We're all dealing with some form of brokenness, right? And her form came that she kind of could be smothering a little bit. He ultimately, as he thought about the Hollywood image of happiness, he concluded that he was not happy. And so he left the marriage. He walked away from his family. He cut off his ch himself off from his children. And suddenly his, his son, who was making straight A's, went the opposite direction academically. A, a, a daughter that should have been at Harvard or Stanford, her, her educational pursuit was undercut. And all of this havoc so he could be happy. Is that you? Are you willing to risk everything? It is, the, it, is the, it is the miracle of Christmas that challenges us here. And then, of course, here's an example of the opposite. My wife has a friend who shows us what it looks like to prioritize God's purpose, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's painful, and it requires sacrifice like Mary and Joseph, and yet it happens in, in, in life, and, and she shows us how to do it. And my wife's friend met and fell in love with a fella. They dated for a year. Man, it was her dream come true. They got married. Two months later, she was pregnant, looking forward to a great marriage, great kids. Six months later, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. A couple months later, the brain cancer had caused him to go blind. It shifted his personality. He became abusive. In all the ways you can imagine, she had to put him in a, in a facility to care and take care of him and to protect him and the family. Then she had a choice to make. How seriously would she take those vows for better, for worse, in sickness and health, for richer, for poor? Surely this is not the same person that she had married and took taking those vows. Might she just get a divorce? But after thinking about it, it somehow dawned into her spirit that, that, that when Jesus showed up, come on now, the text says that in Jesus we discover Emmanuel, God with us. And she made the decision that perhaps, come on, God's purpose for the rest of her days on the planet was to be an embodiment of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy to her husband who was going through an experience that was of no fault of his own. So she chose to stay married, and she told her children that their task was to be an embodiment of God's love and grace and mercy to their dad. And they entered into that suffering. Wow. And somebody say, wow. Hey, guys, as I wrap this up, let me just tell you, life is hard. Most weekends, I love talking about and celebrating the goodness of God. I like talking about the miracles of God. But the goodness of God and the miracles of God generally happens, come on now, in the middle of really tough life. 
So many of you are going through tough life right now. I just heard about a major personality uh, uh, who, who was the producer for Ellen's show, took his life suicide. People say, oh, he was always happy and so forth and so on. But inwardly, life was tough and he ran out of a space of hope and all of that kind of stuff, right? The goodness of God has to show up. It has to show up just like Jesus did right in the middle of the nitty-grittiness and the toughness of life. And sometime, sometimes we find ourselves, watch this, in the, in the, in the middle of the nitty-grittiness of the toughness of life, being called by God to be the embodiment of His love and His mercy and His grace. To others, I talked a little bit about this last week, about being the presence of God to others. Listen, some of you are taking your kids back and forth who are sick and, and, and ill to the hospitals. Life is tough. Some of you are trying to work through difficult seasons with your spouse or your loved ones. Some of you are, are, are dealing with the mental illness of a, of a relative. Some of you are, are trying to care for aging parents. Uh, somebody else is working two and a half jobs just to, just, to, just to get those kids through college. And what I want you to hear today is that you don't have to climb the highest mountain to grab hold of God's purpose. Come on, you don't have to be written up in the history books to grab hold of God's purpose. That that person who's carrying your kids back and forth to the hospital, caring for the aging person, right? Uh, that, 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 that you are being invited by God to grab hold to that as his purpose, to be the embodiment of his love and his mercy and his grace to those kids, to that relative, to those folk that you're working through life. And it is not easy. And so I can hear somebody say, what if I get it wrong? What if I'm not perfect? Oh, I'm afraid. And, the, and it is to you that the God of the universe and Jesus declares, do not be afraid. I, I, I'm with you. You just have to choose to be with me and a part of my work in the world. That's the message. That's the invitation of Christmas. Oh, one last thing. When we prioritize God's purpose, check it out, we discover God's peace. And God's peace is greater than human pleasure, y'all. Come on now. Uh, 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 here's what Mary says. Then Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. There it is. Let it be with me. There's her. Her decision has been made that, that, that I'm going to be an instrument of God. Come on. You and I need to make the decision in all of the different hard places that we are serving that we will be an embodiment of God's grace and God's love and, 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 and watch God miraculously renew and strengthen and provide not just for us, but through us. And what, what, the moment you decide, I'm going to be his instrument in this circumstance, in this purpose, oh, then you're in route to know his peace. You know, I like the NIV version of John 14, 27, just before Jesus gets ready to, to go to crucifixion on our behalf. Uh, not the NLT. I'm going to talk about the NLT in just a moment, but the NIV version says, here's how it translates God, Jesus' words. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 
But if it's easier, I, I, let, me, let, me, let me throw on the screen the NLT version. Here's, what it, here's, here's the translation of Jesus' words. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. The peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. When you choose to prioritize the purpose of God, Jesus promises peace. But the secret in make, is in making the decision to pursue God's purpose. Listen, yesterday was my grand-aunt's birthday, December the 17th. And whenever I think about the Christmas story, I can't help but think about my grand-aunt. Think about Mary and this improbable birth. I think about how my grand-aunt was up in age. She heard about a young, scarred fellow who was sick and was about to be put in foster care, and there was nobody to take him. And she had never seen me or talked to me, but she sent the word with the support of her husband, my granduncle, if you can get him to Cushata, Louisiana, I'll keep him. And so they got me from San Francisco to Cushata. And I just think about all the different times that she just kept choosing God's, the pursuit of God's purpose over her personal happiness. I think about all of the pain I caused her. I think about all of the times that she shed tears. I think about all of the times that I shattered her heart. And I wish, I wish that wasn't so. I, I, I wish I could have done better sooner. I think about all of the hours that she spent on her knees praying and believing God for me. And it looked like I was going the wrong way. I, I, I wish I'd come to my senses earlier. But I am so happy. I am so delighted. I am so grateful that she just kept choosing to pursue God's purpose, even over her personal happiness. And she refused to give up on me. And, 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 and now as I look back, I discover, come on now, that she was the Emmanuel in my life. She was the embodiment, come on, along with my granduncle, of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. So now I say to her, she and my granduncle on the other side of eternity, I, I shout aloud, thank you, mom and dad. And to them I declare, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Don't be afraid.